Welcome to High Energy Health, where together we explore the leading edge of wellness and happiness. I'm your host, Dawson Church. By choosing this time together, you're declaring your commitment to a positive mindset, elevated emotions, and a great life. Thanks for joining me for today's episode. Hello and welcome to today's episode of High Energy Health. Thank you so much for tuning in today and for sharing your time with us, for sharing this this wonderful space with us. I am Miriam Paninski, your guest host for the next weeks. And today I have the great pleasure to be in conversation with the amazing doctor, Peter Stapleton. Welcome, Peter. Thank Thank you, you, Miriam. It's my pleasure. Absolute pleasure. Yeah. So, you know, for those of you who don't know Peter yet, she is a phenomenal clinical and health psychologist and actually an EFT trainer and one of the world leaders, I have to say, in in research trials for EFT or tapping, as you may call it. And she's also a professor of psychology at Bond University. And today we will get to talk about her and her wonderful work and definitely about her most, her recent book, The Science Behind tapping. Peter, let's start at the beginning for the members of the audience who may not know EFT, who have, may have never heard about EFT or tapping. How, how do you explain it? What is clinical EFT in a nutshell? What is your elevator pitch? For yeah, okay, here we go. Right. <laughs> One minute or less. <laughs> no, 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 no. Take your time. <laughs> I know. Simplicity, you know, EFT, emotional freedom techniques, tapping, as we call it, is a stress reduction technique. So if I was simply explaining it to somebody who knew nothing, I'd just say, look, it's a way that we actually can lower stress in the body and the mind. And most people go, oh, can you tell me a bit more? Or can you tell me how it works? That kind of thing. Now, clinical EFT is just the process that we test in clinical trials because there are lots of versions of tapping out there. So if someone did a quick Google search, they might find those. Clinical EFT has originated from the basic recipe back with Gary Craig as the founder of EFT. And so that's the version that we test, you know, colleagues like, you know, Dr. Dawson Church, who you know, and, and others. That's the one that we've all decided. The research trials will focus on using that just so that we can can build the basis for the evidence and then of course it's much easier to then say shorter versions or alternative versions are likely to obviously work because the basic recipe does as well so circling back to you know what what is EFT tapping it's a way to reduce stress in, in the mind and body but how we do that is to actually stimulate pressure points, acupuncture points on the face and body with the tapping technique instead of using a needle. So most listeners are kind of accustomed to what acupuncture is, but we're using the same known acupuncture points. We're just stimulating them with a tapping sequence, if you like, while we sort of stay present to what's happening for us. So it's fantastic. Look, I've been doing it for 18 years now and I teach mainstream therapy, talk therapies at master's level in psychology. And every student still says, when are we learning tapping? So it's just been amazing. <laughs> so speaking of which, 18 years ago, how did you find tapping or how did it find you? Yes, it found me because <laughs> I was very much this, the, exactly anyone new coming to this. That was me where I was 
a bit desperate. I was kind of complaining, if you like, to a colleague because I was working my clinical areas eating disorders, so anorexia and bulimia nervosa. And my mainstream therapies I was trained in and I was fairly fresh and, and new weren't really working. So I felt ineffective. So I'm whinging to a, a colleague saying, oh, I've done all this training. I was in the middle of my PhD program and I said, nothing's working. I feel like I've chosen this career and this is ridiculous. And he tried to tell me about tapping in that moment. And I had no idea what he was talking about. And he did say, oh, look, I've come across something and it's a little bit weird. And I'm like, well, clearly weird's a bit strange. So I just ignored him. <laughs> Within a couple of months, so I was that person that just dismissed. Within a couple of months, I'm running an eating disorder support group for the local community. He'd come along to help me out. And we had about 50 women there. And one of the young women started to have a panic attack in the middle of the group. And he just gestured he would take her outside to calm down. And I said, that's fine. So I'm doing the lesson. And they came back within about five or six minutes. And I thought, Barry, and I've said this a few times, I thought, oh no, he's like given her a Valium or something because she's really calm and composed. And she was having a panic attack five minutes ago. And I thought, yeah. oh, that's highly <laughs> unethical. I'm going to have to have a chat to him about that. Anyway, the group finishes, goes home for the night. And I said to him, oh, what happened there? Because I hope you didn't do anything, you know, a little bit unethical and give her some medication that's not right and he said no I did the tapping thing I've been trying to tell you about and because I'd seen that difference in five minutes in this young woman I said okay you need to tell me more about what this is and that was 18 years ago so the journey's obviously continued since I went off and did a training did it on chocolate in the training myself had no idea that was going to you know, be presented to us. And we got into the research about 15 years ago now. Wonderful. That's, a, that's such a good story. I love that story. Must have done something unethical here. I know. <laughs> you kind of like already hinted at this. And before we turn towards kind of the content of your book, so people may might know EFT as a technique to reduce stress and anxiety. So could you tell us as, as the psychologist you are, what is stress? How does it manifest in our bodies? And how do we use EFT to reduce stress? Fantastic question. Stress really, and I say this to my students because they should know better by the time they get to a master's degree of their you know, psychology program. Stress is perception. So stress is a decision that we make that something is happening in our lives and we don't believe we have the coping resources to cope. That, all, that is all stress is. But the problem is we have many things that happen in our lives where we just go, I can't cope. I don't have time or I don't, you know, have help. Or So we make a split decision in our mind of in the moment, something's happened and I can't cope. That is all stress is. The problem with it is it's very physiological. So the minute our body goes into some stress response, that could be fight or flight for somebody because it could be an important thing that they're becoming stressed about. It could be a freeze state for someone else, a frozen state. It could be, you know, any one of those. And the body mobilizes for threat. So cortisol gets increased and floods the body, adrenaline, other neurohormones in order to get the body ready to have to flee or fight or, you know, that very old evolutionary response of, you know, there's a tiger in front of the cave kind of thing. Problem is those responses are happening now if someone doesn't check a notification on the mobile phone because it's gone off and they haven't checked fast enough, that response happens. So then mm -hmm. the body gets flooded. Those hormones 
long term over time can do incredible damage to the body, you know, inflammation, immunity response, chronic illnesses, autoimmune diseases. So long term, that level of hormone uh, kind of and production can actually be really detrimental. So tapping, funnily enough, has actually been researched at that level. So we're going to get into this with the book, but we actually can test cortisol in the body and an hour of tapping can reduce cortisol levels in the body. Mm -hmm. It can actually have a profound impact on EEG, brainwave states. Again, we can tell whether someone's stressed. So tapping has this not just psychological ability to help someone think more clearly, but physically actually change the body's biochemistry. Yeah, exactly. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that later. So to turn to your book, so I must tell you really as a practitioner, mentor and trainer of EFT, who also conducts research in an academic context, book is just so exciting and so important, I feel. Um, however, I also do want to say that the book is not just really well organized presentation of uh, science, but is actually weaving in practical guides and ways to address a range of issues and topics, trauma and PTSD, stress and anxiety, depression, food cravings, habits, issues with young people and students. So you really kind of like go through all like di a different range. But please tell us, what what means this book to you and why why did you feel the need to write it and present this research as you did in this forum oh thank you miriam it's funny that you say you know about the organization because it it took a while to find that sweet spot and i used tapping on myself because i was frustrated mm -hmm. trying to get it to flow so it's you know i use the very technique um funnily enough i'd written a goal because i do write my intentions in goals every january just for the year ahead as some guideposts. And I had actually written a goal two years earlier that I did want to write a book. I didn't know it would be on the science behind tapping, but I did have a goal and I'd put it away, not thought about it. And I was at a conference with Dr. Joe Dispenza, who wrote the foreword for the book. Go forward, yes. Yes. And we're having a conversation. He'd heard me speak and he said, you should write a book. And I said, what am I going to write a book on? And he said, the science behind, you know, all the tapping like he does with meditation. And and I laughed, Miriam, in that moment and said, to Joe Dispenza, no one will read that book. <laughs> and he just went, no, no. I think that would be really good. So he planted the idea and I'm firmly putting that back on Joe. And so he went obviously and talked to Reed Tracy at Hay House and, and we did some sort of, you know, preliminary chapters just to see would this come across okay. So the idea found me and I like, you know, Elizabeth Gilbert, you know, she wrote Eat, Pray, Love and of course the, you know, Big Magic and she says the same about sometimes the book finds you, not the other way around. So I didn't plan to write the science behind tapping. I was asked to and I did have a moment of imposter syndrome and went, oh, oh, really? Not only who will read this, but oh, I didn't sort of expect that to come along. I did look back at my goals and went, well, I did put it out there, but I just didn't know the topic. So I, I did use tapping to find that sweet spot along the way. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. That actually really, really means a lot. And definitely for all of us who sometimes struggle with, with writing or putting something out there, but this is really kind of like more than a hunch from the universe. If Dr. Joe shows up and says- <laughs> I know, Dr. Joe. <laughs> Peter. That's right. <laughs> so I did say to him, okay, if I write this book, you have to write the forward. And he said, okay. So that's how that came to be. Good. That's. <laughs> but tell us, why is this research so important? 
People don't realise that, you know, when we talk about the term evidence-based and whether something's clinically accepted, it has to have a body of research behind it. So anything that comes into the therapy space or even the medical field doesn't just sort of appear one day. So the research that is done in the background is vital. Whether or not people ever read it or know about it, it needs to be there in order to satisfy certain conditions at kind of government levels, medical levels, so that practitioners in the field, yourself included, feel confident in what they're offering or perhaps you know there's rebates available on sessions and things like that all of that only happens because there's been a, a body of research behind it so our goal way back from 15 years ago when I first met Dawson Church and he was starting his research too really was a collective decision around we just want practitioners to be able to confidently use EFT knowing that they can use that term evidence-based or knowing that you know it's been approved so that was our goal from the beginning was practitioners in the field were the end goal and we just knew that the only pathway there was to actually do all that research. Yeah, that's wonderful. And and it, it truly is. It truly is such a gift. That research really is, is a gift and it really bridges such an important gap. But I wonder, you know, you know, I can imagine as a clinical psychologist and a researcher, you sometimes do encounter opposing voices. So what do these critical voices in the field of psychology say and how do you cope with that? And it, it did in the early days, particularly I think 15 years ago, we didn't have much research to at all talk about. Even the mechanism of talking talking about energy and meridians didn't land well. Like we now don't mm-hmm. use those words, but back then we had nothing. We we also had, you know, the nine gamut eye movement in the basic recipe and even that kind of made people sort of roll their eyes. So I did take a decision at the early stage because I'm, I'm an introvert as an academic and I'm certainly not extroverted and I'm conservative. And I thought, is this going to ruin my career? So I <laughs> sat down and I actually wrote all of my <laughs> worries and I wrote, Everything I was concerned about, and every time I tried to talk to someone, I would write all my worries, and I actually tapped on all of them. Yes. And I, I highly recommend this even in our trainings. If people are, I want to introduce it to my school, or I want my you know workplace to allow me to use it here, that kind of thing. I'm like, do you worry about what's going to happen? And they're like, yes. And I'm like, you have to tap on that. So I tapped on all my own personal ones. I'm also married to an engineer who's the most skeptical. <laughs> person out there so I used him as my test (laughs) so I would go and talk to him about it and listen to what he said or he knew nothing so he questioned me and I'd go "Mm, okay do I know how to answer that I'd go off and I'd practice and then I'd practice again on someone else and anytime I got negative feedback I'll come back and I'll tap again on something in me so it's worked because now we have enormous acceptability particularly in our country we have government agencies that approve EFT for all their patients we have hospitals using it and people want me to speak at things that are quite mainstream and conservative on tapping so I know that if you come back to yourself and tap on your worries it will open up pathways yeah and there's something that we in the clinical handbook we call this the personal peace peace procedure which is basically just trying to write down every single aspect of your life, any every single worry. And that can also be like as small as saying, okay, I'm going into an interview and this is this is all my worst case scenarios and writing them out and just tapping down, just tapping down the list. And it's just such such a phenomenal, just a, such a phenomenal work. And I also I, I do it, I do it almost every day. <laughs> 
works. I'll tell you, it works. It's that yeah, come back to the very thing that we're we're obviously trying to promote and use it, use it for yourself. Right. But in your book, you actually do also, and you say you don't really talk so much about energy fields or meridians that much on in, in anymore, but you do introduce related methods of energy psychology in your book or kind of like alternative tapping methods, so to say. So I'm really curious if you, do you ever feel torn between the supposed two worlds? I'm actually not sure they're, they're that separate, but do you ever feel torn between the two worlds of evidence-based research in the realm of energy psychology? So this must have been a journey for you well, as you just kind of just started to describe. So could you share a little bit about that? Yes. Yeah. I think what happened 18 years ago when you know I went off and learned tapping and I started to use it in my private practice with my clients just to see what would happen of course you know every family member got to go as well because you're trying to work out what's happening here and my clients started to get better they started to go back to their doctors and say I'm losing weight if they were obese or people with anorexia were starting to recover or even people with addictions because I was in that space were actually recovering as well and so doctors were saying what are you doing I was saying I don't really know <laughs> just doing this tapping thing and it seems to be working so we were getting personal feedback that it actually was doing something even though we didn't understand how and why and the research was sort of yet to start in my world but mm -hmm. there was that element of everything that I'd learned from an evidence-based talk therapy approach and we were doing something really outside the box. So again, I still use tapping to sort of make it feel okay with me so that I didn't feel like I was doing anything unethical or whatever that might be. I came back to duty of care for the client that even if I was doing something yet that was working but wasn't yet on a list somewhere, I was okay with that. So I'm not saying everyone should do this, but it got to the point where the results were there and I wanted to give what was working to my clients. Nowadays, because I still teach the gold standards, cognitive behavioral therapy, acceptance and commitment therapy, dialectical behavior therapy. We teach all of that. We have to. We're governed by that. We are still allowed to teach them tapping in their program. But now we've learned how to combine and how to use, you know, some techniques out of our talk therapies in conjunction with EFT in a, in a session to get the best of both worlds. So I'm never one to say, this is better, this is better, this is better. It's just that we can complement and our head-to-head -head trials do show EFT gets the outcomes in a shorter space of time and they mm -hmm. tend to last longer. So we have got some superiority there, if you like, but we can live in both worlds. And I guess that's where yeah. I am. I do have a foot in both worlds and most people, at least here in our country, accept that particularly about what we're doing. So yeah, about this long-term effect that you just talked about and before we go into our first little break. So EFT, as you stated in this book, has an effect on your amygdala, has an effect on your cortisol level. Could you say a little bit about that? Could you say something about the amygdala? Could you say a little bit more about cortisol? Like what you, you started talking about this before, but I would definitely I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah, so we do know through acupuncture studies, so Harvard University actually did a 10-year study looking at this using MRI and things like that in the brain. And they did find that stimulation of acupuncture points, known in the Eastern kind of, you know, philosophies, stimulation of those does send a deactivating signal back to the stress center in the brain, the amygdala, meaning if you are having acupuncture for certain conditions, that you are getting kind of a calming effect there on that stress center. We're using the same acupuncture points by tapping on them. So that pathway is the same. 
Korean researchers at the end of 2021, so only recently, have definitively shown injecting dye into the primovascular system, what we once called the meridian system, but it's actually physical, it's vascular, it's not energetic. Injecting dye into that system shows a condensation at the acupuncture points. So it's like the juncture points that we put a needle in or tap on. The dye condenses there, but not where there's an unknown acupuncture point. And that paper shows okay. the images, which is fantastic because it now we know that we actually are hitting something like an, a density of vascular structure. And we also know it's sending that signal. Cortisol then as a result. So if the amygdala tells the body system, oh, we need more stress hormone to cope in this moment. If it goes quiet, it stops sending the signal out, which means cortisol drops back down, a, a much better state. We've got lots of research and I know we'll get into it that shows the percentage of which we can decrease cortisol. Dawson's church showed one hour decrease cortisol by 24%. My replication study showed if you tap in a group, you'll decrease cortisol by 43% after just wow. one hour. And it's lasting. That's it's absolutely lasting. Yeah, we have two-year follow-up now in some yes, of us. It's incredible. It's incredible. So we will go into a first little break. Please tune back in with us. Stay with us. It's just a couple of minutes of break to follow, to keep on this going, this amazing conversation with Dr. Peter Stapleton. Thank you so much. Hello and welcome back to this High Energy Health Podcast. I'm Miriam Paninski, your guest host, and today we are talking to the wonderful Dr. Peter Stapleton. Peter, I'm so glad to be here with you, and I really want to dive into more of this fabulous content, your new book, The Science Behind Tapping. So I know actually one of your special interests or actually kind of focal points is weight management. And you have developed this phenomenal online program with Glenn McIntosh, I think, called Weight Management Psychology, Emo Emotional Freedom Technique for Weight Management. And also in this book, you have a very interesting, extensive chapter in, on food cravings and weight issues. So, and knowing that so much, of course, could be said about this, could you just in a nutshell, give us an outline of the comprehensive trial you led? what the work with those participants looked like and what you were addressing and what was the outcome? So this is probably my passion area. 15 years ago when we started our research, we chose this area. So we have got an obesity issue here in Australia and we thought, well, maybe if we could assist in that area as not just a replacement therapy, but even complementary to other diet and exercise programs. So we didn't know whether it would work in the beginning. So we were targeting food cravings. So we thought, Research says that if you have an obesity issue or a weight problem, you'll tend to eat foods that, you know, are hard to res resist or stay away from, and they tend to be high calorie. So we thought, I wonder if we could affect that. I'd had my chocolate kind of craving done in the workshop three years earlier. So our aim was if we can reduce food cravings and they're no longer part of someone's life, maybe they'll lose weight over time. So that's where we started. So I went on and I, I must share that the first current affair program I went on just to say, we've got this university trial. It is free. It's going to be four weeks. We'll tap for two hours a week, bring your food in. We thought, and my boss said to me, no one's going to come to this research trial. This is ridiculous because I'm tapping on my face with a chocolate muffin with the reporter. And four and a half thousand people 
responded wow. to that wow. TV kind of segment and we couldn't obviously help everybody but tried to direct them off into places. So we've since kind of gone on, we extended that trial to an eight-week trial. We also have compared it to cognitive behavioural therapy, so it got direct head-to-head comparisons there. Oh, just heads up, EFT comes out trumps, you get the outcomes in a faster time frame and they last longer. We pivoted the program and delivered it online just to see whether that would work. And it did, so self-paced, but with obviously contact to the researchers so I could answer questions, people put themselves through the videos. And then we've actually also looked at our online program versus our inline program, compared that data. They got the same outcomes. So you actually can be sort of, you know, feel certain that if you did an online program in that space, you can get the same outcomes as attending in person. So that was a good outcome. And we've done lots of other things in that space where we took it into a school and taught teenagers how to use it for healthy food choices instead. Again, all of this is published. And so ultimately, the weight management program you just mentioned, Miriam, is a culmination of all the clinical research. So the online program has the longest follow-up of any tapping trial. So we did two-year follow-up on those participants. And two years later, not only have they all lost weight, so that outcome definitely occurs, but they can't remember the food they tapped on in the trial. So in the EFT world, we know that's common, but it really shows us that that neurological pathway does change if that's not in your life anymore because there's no restraint needed, no willpower. And they would laugh and say to me, I don't even remember what I did tapping on. And when I remind them, they laugh again and say, I can't remember the last time I ate that food. And I'm like, in my trial, because you brought it into the group. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we've done, um, really, I've done 12 years worth of research in that space. And it's why that chapter is probably the largest in the book. We have definitive evidence that it will absolutely assist not only with reducing and maintaining food cravings to go away, they'll last over time, you'll lose weight, and you can use it in conjunction with other programs. Mm. So what do you tap on when it comes to food cravings and weight loss? So we definitely start in the early stages with the foods that are harder to resist for someone. So if someone says, uh, something like a cookie. We ask them to bring the cookie to group and they do tap on the different aspects of what they find attractive about that cookie or the cake or the chocolate or the ice cream, whatever it is. And so as we shift the desire and it becomes lower, they tend to say to us, I don't want to eat it anymore. And of course, often that one session is enough for a lot of people that they can go off and never eat that food again. We end up actually tapping on other areas to do with health and weight. So we tap on healthy food choices. So we say, do you like salad? And they go, oh, salads are boring. So then we tap on why salads are boring. We tap on exercise motivation. So we say, how much exercise do you do? I don't do any. Why? I hate it. And so we tap on exercise. So we actually tap on like, if you like a spoken wheel kind of model, not just the food cravings. Once they get the hang of that, we go into other areas that will assist that lifestyle decision of drinking more water, exercise being a normal part of life sleep habits we include as well and uh, do you also go into the into the I, I suppose you go into the individual stories of what kind of what position food has when it comes to kind of like a self-soothing aspect in in times of you Absolutely. know 
Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. So what happens in a group is typically for the first hour, they're together as a group. But in the second hour of all our therapy sessions and trials, they go into small group work. So we have assistants, but they might only be two people and an assistant. That's where they get to do their individual work. And as we know, sometimes those stories emerge of their own accord when someone's tapping on a food, they might think about something that happened when they were eight. And that's the opportunity for them to go and process that. So emotional eating, food and mood, you know, even the story of if I lose weight, will other people in my life not be happy about that we might touch on that so there is a lot of opportunity in our trials for that individual work because everyone's got a different story so all of those things do end up being covered for about Mm -hmm. half our people they tap on the food and that's it there's no story but for the other half there's a lot of stories and there's a lot of background and I can tell you what emerged from our trial that we don't believe is in any other weight loss program is the story about food wastage that I can't throw food out and I must eat everything on my plate because Uh of other underprivileged children in the world that story is really prominent and we do a lot of tapping around food waste and guilt in most of our trials Thank you so much for sharing this. This is, remember when I first trained in EFT Dawson and he had us work on our cravings ourselves. And I just actually told this to our guest last week, addiction psychiatrist, Judson Brewer. And I said, when I first started working on this and I didn't know that I didn't understand because I never had to look at my cravings. So to say, I generally like healthy food and all of this. And I'm I'm generally on on the skinny side. However, I'm also from Vienna, which is, you know, pastry heaven from a family where, you know, there was a lot of trauma and a lot of abuse. And I could not believe the emotional flooding and and what kind of I had to work on without knowing that I had to when first when Dawson first had to had us work on on cravings at that point. So it's it's so yeah. fascinating. And it's it's not about willpower. It's not about discipline. No, not at all. And like that came up for you. That's what happens in a trial too. It it just presents itself and we just use tapping to process it. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Okay. We will go into our next little break. Please tune right back in with this, into this fascinating conversation with Dr. Peter Stapleton. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for tuning in with us today for this next segment in our High Energy Health podcast. I'm Miriam Paninski interviewing Peta Stapleton and especially talking about her phenomenal new book, The Science Behind Tapping. So I want to kind of pick up on, on, our, on our last bit of conversation. And we talked about your fantastic weight loss trials and all kind of that journey. And actually also what you do also share is a bunch of case studies in this book. And this is, again, where I think it is such a tremendous wealth of research and actually practical point of use, but also for clients or people just using EFT on their own terms, these case studies really provide kind of hands-on practical advice from sessions and the work with clients. And there's one that I found particularly interesting. It's with a young man and his cigarette addiction. So could you share a little bit about this case study and what exactly you tap 
tapped on? Where did you take this? Yes, and that was my client. So we had practitioners around the world contribute some of their cases and people from our trials did as well. And that was that sweet spot I was trying to find that would make it highly relevant to someone in the community reading it saying, yeah, yeah, I can relate to that. So I'm thankful for all our practitioners, but this particular client was was mine. So we we long had known that okay, this works for food cravings. I wonder if it'll work for cigarettes. So lots of people obviously trying to quit cigarettes. And we had run a small trial for a workplace colleague and I, and we had that's published and we kind of wrote about it. And we'd gone in and done a whole day's intensive workshop. And then we did follow-up sessions for all these people. And lo and behold, everybody except for two young men quit cigarettes and were able to maintain that. The two young men probably wasn't quite part of their peer group, you know, that's my excuse anyway. So, you know, they kept smoking, <laughs> but that's all right. The rest of them were quite happy to quit and that lasted. So on the back of that, we did start to sort of share that mm, we thought maybe this would help. So I had a, a man come to see me. He was married with children and in the workplace and he genuinely did want to quit cigarettes. So a bit similar to food cravings, we actually do the same thing where we get the cigarette out and we did go outside for part of our session. And I'm, I'm asking him, tell me about what it is when you have that cigarette you know, you, you draw in that, what's it feel like? What's the feeling? And we tapped on all those kind of things. So we, we tapped on those sensations of just feeling like you're getting a hit or feeling like there's a bit of a relaxation into that cigarette, you know, and we know some of that comes from the substance. So we got to the point where he's like, oh, I don't really want to have any more. So we went inside. Then we just, the act of putting it in your mouth and we still tapped on that blah, blah, blah. And so then we started to, so he didn't feel like having a cigarette, but we started to sort of talk about, okay, what else was coming to mind here? And he had sort of several things in the background. His wife and sons both smoked. So they were but all smokers at home. And there definitely was a bonding that occurred mm -hmm. around that. And they would, you know, have their cigarette and coffee on the deck in the morning and share some time. So it was worrying him as to whether or not he would be able to still engage in that. The other thing that stood out for him was he used to go and have a work break, cigarette break to get out of the workplace uh, when he needed sort of that stress relief. And that was his excuse or reason that I'm just going out for a smoke. And he was worried that if I don't smoke anymore and I need to get away, you know, walking outside and just standing there might be perceived as something strange. Whereas he didn't get judged for going to have a cigarette. And all of that came up. He also had some family stories in there too, that the, his, his family were smokers and they'd all tried to quit in the past, not successfully. And it was a bit of a rite of passage to be allowed to smoke in the family. And it was like, it was an event that was celebrated almost. And so there was positivity attached to that. Mm. All of this came out over many sessions. So we tapped on all these different things and, and obviously had success where he was able to redefine himself as someone who didn't smoke, but that could still be part of the family or still have those relationships with his, you know, biological family, as well as his, you know, married family. And he went on obviously to, and he is, someone attached to someone in my life so I actually know all these years later he still doesn't smoke so oh yeah. that's great yeah 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 and I also remember you saying tapping into the stress response of potentially being in situations where you can't smoke 
imagine yourself like in an airplane or something like that. Yeah, I think those future pacing imagination scenarios brings up stuff because the brain doesn't yes. know any different. So yeah, even to sort of imagine in the food craving, we say to them, imagine going to, you know, a buffet restaurant where it's all you can eat and it's all your favorite foods, yet you're not going to eat five plates. How does that feel? Like it's the same thing. Imagine going to an, you know, you're flying and you can't smoke anymore on planes. How do you think? And the anxiety that comes up there, we can tap on straight away, even though it hasn't happened. So that when that ever does happen, the body and brain goes, oh, I know what this feels like. I can be calm, that type of thing. And I think because tapping so portable, clients also learn I can just tap whenever I need to. I've literally sat on planes and seen people tapping and I don't say anything, but I'm like, that person person knows how to tap. That's fantastic. Yes, a lot, of course, also for for flight anxiety. And I've seen that. I've seen that too. I've seen people next to me going like, start off they're like I start, they start like tapping their their yes. chest and like yep <laughs> it yes, so no good. it's fantastic so one question or actually the answer of course that interests me from you is a question I get asked a lot is especially from clients who are into law of attraction and manifestation who have a little bit of, of a doubt about tapping on the negative so why do we tap on the negative? What is your answer? Yes, and I would say it's this, that's the most common question I get asked, even if we're training therapists to use it or, you know, you've been working. My own, I have two daughters and they have had tapping in their lives, their whole lives. And I've even had them turn to me in, you know, a tapping moment and kind of go, why am I saying the negative? So it is common. And I think because we live in a world where talk therapies are trying to find new meaning, reframe, look at something differently, substitute a, a, a negative thought for a positive one. It can be a bit confusing. What I say to people is we're not tapping on the negative at all. We're tapping on the truth. So we're actually tapping on the truth of what's happening for you. It just seems unusual to say that out loud, which is what tapping requires. So when I say that, people go, ah, I'm like, I don't want you to change the words. I want you to tell me exactly how you feel right now. So we're actually tapping on the truth of what's mm-hmm. happening. We're not tapping on the negative at all. And if you tap, you just have to say it long enough. It's almost like hit the delete key on the keyboard. If you just say it long enough while you tap, it is the tapping that has that direct response. Uh, So it is, and we've shown that through, you know, a meta-analysis. It's the tapping technique that's the active ingredient. So I don't encourage people to walk around just saying how they feel without tapping because we do need the tapping part to actually decrease that level. To decrease decrease that. Yes, and it's... It's also like often there's so much stress, not just around the problem, but actually feeling the emotions of the problem, because there's this this fear of being put back in a situation which was, you know, almost high, like severe trauma and PTSD. But it really feels like if we can like bridge that, if we can get to a point where it feels safe to feel those emotions, I think that's already such a huge win, especially for for highly traumatized clients. Yeah, absolutely. And we do recommend, you know, we I know all of us do that if something does come up like that when someone's tapping by themselves to absolutely seek the support of someone that's experienced that can guide you through that. The one thing we know about tapping compared to other talk therapies is it can access emotions quite quickly and it can yes. bring up memories quite quickly. And the biological reason for that is the hippocampus sits next door to the amygdala. And so it's your memory center. 
which means as the amygdala becomes quiet and less active, the hippocampus is free to give us information. And that often is what is why people kind of suddenly think of something when they were six or seven years of age but can't see the connection. That's the hippocampus trying to tell you, hey, this is connected. And often that can take mm. people by surprise. So fabulous mm-hmm. process. It is a fabulous process. But I think what you said is really important. While EFT is a hugely self-empowering tool and you can use it all the time on yourself and you don't always have to tap through all the points to be tapping there's also these studies about EFT also being effective when you think about the uh, points or when you put your attention on the points it is really with the deep issues at least very advisable to seek out the help of a of a certified practitioner to to help you through that so thank you so much for this, this phenomenal conversation with Dr. Peter Stapleton on high energy health Thank you so much for tuning right back in with us after this short little break. Hello and welcome for this last slot of conversation on our High Energy Health podcast with the wonderful Peter Stapleton talking about her recent book and the science behind tapping. And I just told Peter that I'm so glad that just like EFT, this book found her and that Dr. Joe Dispenser actually made her write this wonderful research. So one thing that we haven't really covered is EFT and physical symptoms or EFT and pain. Can you say more about this? And I know you have something that is kind of like lining up right now around that. So please, please do share with us. Yes. When I wrote the book, we only had a handful of studies that had been published. Nick Ortner had done one of them in the areas of pain, fibromyalgia, chronic pain, that type of thing. But there was a bit of a start happening there because there obviously is a, a relationship between intense stress and inflammation in the body and physical symptoms. So chronic pain being one of them. So I had long held a dream to pivot from our food craving research, which we've done for 12 years, into the chronic pain space. So here in Australia, certainly one in four adults does suffer chronic pain. Our opiate medications have been regulated now as well. That created kind of a bit of a storm of people panicking, that type of thing. So for the last 18 months, we have been running an EFT tapping for chronic pain research trial, a clinical trial. It has two arms to it. One arm were live sessions, but we did them via Zoom due to the pandemic. But the other arm was self-paced. So we actually have had two arms and we've had over 200 people go through these uh, different aspects of the program. We included locally here to me a group who had functional MRI. So we looked at the brain before and after their six weeks. So they had a six week, two hours a week, 12 hour program. Mm -hmm. And we also measured that local group vagal tone activity. So I've acting with Stephen Porges from Indiana University for that relationship of maybe polyvagal theory explaining why tapping lasts so long. Maybe we're affecting the vagus nerve. So that's exciting. Mm -hmm. And just for you, Miriam, this week, we've just had the results come in. So I'm giving you all a uh, a heads up. We're yet to publish that will happen this year. But what has happened? So in our total group of over 200 patients, that six-week program absolutely affected severity of pain, interference of pain, quality of life in people, psychological symptoms like depression and anxiety, obviously in the right direction. So it was significant over that six weeks they improved but we've already got six month follow-up we are doing 12 month follow-up our 
six-month follow-up on our participants that have completed that, it has lasted. So they have not reverted back to where they started. Those gains have lasted at six months. Now, our group that went through functional MRI, we actually just got the brain scans on Monday this week. And if you were here with me, my puppy thought I was a bit mad. I was having a little jig, a little dance in my office. (laughs) Because what we have seen, and we'll publish these scans in the paper, two areas in the brain to do with modulating pain and catastrophizing of pain. So when there's pain, thinking more negatively about it. Those two areas were highly engaged before the EFT program. So we can see them highlighted on the scan and they're in blue. After the program, six weeks later, they are significantly decreased. And that decrease matches the self-report data of what the patients say that, oh no, my severity is this and it's not interfering, my quality of life's improved, that type of thing. So we actually now have another MRI trial that will be published on tapping that shows not only from the food craving research, we did one there, that tapping changes the brain activity in the area of chronic pain. So hot off the press, I will start to present these scans at a couple of conferences coming up, but they'll be published this year. Oh, exciting. Thank you so much for sharing this exciting yes, news yes. with us Keep today. Yes, yes, a secret. <laughs> <laughs> not yes. a secret anymore, not no. a secret anymore. <laughs> so excited, so excited. It is exciting. And from a practical point of view, how how do we, how do we tap, or how do you, um, with your clients, with your patients, how do you tap on pain? Yeah, so we do start, and we designed this program based on what we knew about other pain research. We do start simply by teaching someone how to tap on the nature of pain. So say it's shoulder pain, back pain, just what does it feel like? So we tap on those different aspects, if you like. We might use creative language, like if there was a temperature, a colour, or even an emotion in that body area, what would that be? We tap on that as well. If there's an injury or an accident preceding the pain, we will absolutely go back and process that with various techniques in tapping where perhaps there is some sort of stored emotion about the Mm. cause. If there's no cause in someone's life, they just woke up 15 years ago and chronic pain's been present ever since, we will just tap on what was happening in your life at the time or even Mm -hmm. up to a year earlier. Was there intense stress of any life event, and we will tap on those kind of things. One of the last things that we tap on, and we don't do it till the end of our program, is we we tap on the protective purpose of pain in their lives mm-hmm. now. So we, we talk about, funnily enough, anger. When we're in a state of anger, and a lot of chronic pain patients have a lot of anger, anger releases a hormone called norepinephrine, and that is an analgesic. So when you're in a state of anger and you have pain, norepinephrine dulls the pain. So if you tap on anger, you often feel the pain more. So we actually teach them that. We tap on that feeling in particular because it's got a relationship with that hormone and they kind of find that fascinating. But then we go into, so if pain was protecting you in your life from engaging in anything else or having to go back to work or taking more responsibility in your life, 
tell us what those things would be and we tap on all of those as well because chronic pain and our patients on average have been suffering for at least 14 years that's our our mean length of suffering so it's quite lengthy and obviously that's had a huge impact so we tap on anything that would prevent them from going back into life as a fully functioning kind of adult and Mm. that's quite a revealing session and sometimes like the food craving research things come up from the past and memories and that's okay because we have time and space to tap on those right and you have established a trust also by that point that's right? why we don't do it till the end if yes. we were doing that in the beginning I think people wouldn't come back <laughs> so yes <laughs> they've also had an experience with the first five weeks that so they actually also trust the technique of tapping that it's not just us in the first session going, right, let's let's tap on this. And they're like, I don't even know if tapping will work for me because they've often tried a lot of different things, medication included, and nothing's helped them. So we do want them to have an experience that tapping can help their pain. Which can, can sometimes also be counterintuitive because, again, you go you go into it first. So while, while all the, the medical protocol goes into, into pain soothing, pain medication... EFT says, let's go, right? <laughs> yeah, we're like, what does your pain feel like? And they're like, oh, dear. Yes, <laughs> yes yeah. We also, um, an, a nice component in that treatment program that we've been doing has been on sleep. And they've really loved that because pain can often wake people up in sleep. So they actually learn how to use tapping for sleep. And if there's stories behind insomnia, they get addressed. But that's one of the feedbacks. We ask them for feedback every week. And that's one of the things that's actually been standing out there. Like, I love how you can use it for sleep. Yes, that's fantastic. That is such an, that's such an important aspect when it comes to pain management. And again, all medication free. Yes, yes. Yeah, most haven't had any medication throughout the trial. And if they have, they've been able to reduce that. That's incredible. Well, Peter, thank you so much for this amazing conversation. Please, everyone. Check out her website, peterstapleton.com. Check out her book, The Science of Tapping, uh, Behind Tapping, Science Behind Tapping, a proven stress management technique for the mind and body with a foreword by Dr. Jill Dispenza. We, I was so excited and so thrilled to talk to you today. This was such an enlightening conversation. And I'm wishing you all the success and all the best for this book and all your future future trials. And I'm excited oh, to see thank this. Thank you so much, Miriam. It's trial just been come out. my pleasure. Thanks, everyone. Thank you so much to all our listeners for this episode today. High Energy Health. Please tune back in with us next week for our next exciting guest. Thank you so much.